0: This is Thrasher Slashers on the Road to WrestleMania Season 2, presented by the Stiff Shots Podcast Network. Myself and a friend will be talking music, movies, and wrestling, as well as some off-the-rails conversation and a shitload of caffeine. What's up, you bitch? I am your host, Rick and <laughs> Sore throat and sore neck front man from Extinction AD, sore muscle certified personal trainer from Ironhawk Training, and sore sore brain from the Stiff Shots Podcast. Welcome to your bi-monthly detour from real life and another episode of Thrasher's Slashers and the Road to WrestleMania Season 2. We're broadcasting from Huntington, New York and Kings Park, New York, the residence of my guest, longtime Long Island punk rock friend, New York sports fan, enthusiast, and member of the John Stamos Project, Matt Castellano. What's up, man?
1: What's up? How you doing? Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. A lot of these sound like a really good time, so I'm glad to be a part.
0: I feel like you've been laying a little low lately, musically. What have you been up to? Are you jamming with anyone or working on anything?
1: I'm still playing uh, with Pyro every now and then. We wrote some new stuff, and uh, Caleb uh, D'Alosa played drums with some stuff that we've been doing. And uh, we recorded some demos some songs and stuff, but uh, nothing serious. And it's usually few and far between, but I'd like to do something again. It's just uh, being older, obviously, and having responsibilities kind of takes the wind out of some of that.
0: Yeah, I was training Caleb for a little while, and I knew you guys were playing together, and I've kind of been dying to hear you guys all play together. I think that sounds like something that's right up my alley.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'll send you some stuff that we had. We did like a three-song, you know, really rough demo, and now I bought this house here. We got uh, the drum set up in the basement and stuff, so uh, the opportunities there to do it. It's just hard to get everyone together, but um, yeah, it was cool. We played a Halloween show over at Caleb's this past Halloween during the COVID going on. It was like an outdoor thing, and it was freezing, but uh we did a bunch of covers, did some Misfit songs, and uh, it was a fun party. And then after like three songs, the landlord came and broke, <laughs> broke it up.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I wish I knew all I had to do was ask you to hear some recordings. I didn't know that they existed. I'm psyched Yeah,
1: about that. It, 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 We had three that we laid down quick, so...
0: So there's many different important books in life. Some cite the most as the Bible. But in the summer of 2001 and 2002, the Bible was the horror movie encyclopedia that dictated what movies were going to get watched at John Moore's house each day. (laughs) What do you think the craziest movies that came from that book and wound up on that giant projection TV were?
1: Oh, man, that was a great summer. It was just going into Blockbuster and then just falling on the floor laughing at all the titles and stuff that we would find. (laughs) I mean, obviously, the one with the suicidal coke bag was great.
0: <laughs> what movie was that even?
1: Uh, Cthulhu's Mansion. C- <laughs>
0: Cthulhu's Mansion. <laughs> you suicidal coke
1: bag. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think, I don't know if Death Ship came from that or if we just found the cover art funny. But um, that was a good one, too. There's just so many, so much nonsense that came from that book.
0: Yeah, it started out just going through Blockbuster and looking at whatever the ridiculous covers were.
1: Yeah, that would kind of be hit or miss. But then once we got the actual review from the book, it was like, you know, gave us the extra incentive to actually get something.
0: <laughs> I was watching something the other day and they referenced Chopping Mall.
1: <laughs> I remember that with the robots or whatever.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Man, that's a lost art now because going into a video store and just browsing and picking up a ridiculous VHS cover and looking at the back being like, this looks like it sucks. Let's go home and watch It's totally right. different than just scrolling through Netflix or any of the millions of apps and just scrolling past. Oh, that's funny looking, but you know, <laughs> never going to pay attention to it.
1: Or reading reviews online and see if it's even worth to waste your time with to see if it got good reviews or if anyone says it. at least it's so bad, it's
0: good. <laughs> Were we watching a movie from the Bible when that car drove up on your parents' lawn? I think we were actually playing bullshit,
1: which we ended up referring to as "death ship." And <laughs> <laughs> who knows? At this point, I mean, if that car actually came through the, the house of my parents, we oh, we might not be here doing this now. That was uh that's pretty scary.
0: <laughs> well, I am super super worn out from the show we played last night. My neck feels like a wet paper bag. <laughs> So before we get rolling, I know I could really use a jolt of some caffeine juice. So if you're ready, it's time. It's time. the fucking, time. The fucking time. <laughs> That's a solid crack. What do you have over there?
1: Uh, so since I was just on vacation in Vermont, I have a Hermit Thrush Brewery. It's called Sunset Lake with Raspberry and Spruce Wild Sour Hard Seltzer.
0: <laughs> That's a lot of stuff. What does it taste like?
1: It is. Uh, it's refreshing. It's like kind of tasty alcohol in it. It's got a little sourness, but it's just refreshing. It doesn't taste like the other hard seltzers. Like It doesn't taste like a white claw. There's more to it. It almost tastes almost like a beer, but like a lighter version.
0: Does it taste like Bernie Sanders? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Definitely does.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm drinking the Crown Prince. Of refreshing energy drinks, so not number one, but close, with an 8.4 ounce sugar-free coconut berry Red Bull, the star I, of the first. It's go time, you asshole!
1: <laughs> I would definitely die if I've never had an energy drink in my entire life because caffeine like does bad things to me. Like I I used to have like a if I had <laughs> a glass of soda before I went to sleep back when I was a kid, I'd be up like the entire night. So I could just imagine what a <laughs> what a Red Bull or a Monster Energy would do to me. It would like <laughs>
0: <laughs> we spoke about John Stamo's project, but I think our friendship predates even that. Do you remember how we first met? Uh yeah, I think I
1: mean we obviously we both went to Smithtown High School and then there was a show that you guys were putting together at Adam's house and my old my friend my first band, Technical Difficulties, uh, we had like a demo out or whatever, and I don't remember. I gave a cassette to either you or John and then um it was the day after my senior prom was the show at Adam's house and I like didn't get any sleep from the prom and also just being nervous because I'd never really played a first show before in front of people. <laughs> yeah, I think that was a, that was when we actually like legit met, was at that show at Adam's house back in the summer of ninety nine, I wanna say.
0: And we wound up playing a ton of, I guess, houses and garages together. I feel like for the next like couple of years.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. There was a ton of different garages that we played and backyard shows and uh, my pet duck, Uncle Cleveland's uh, backyard bash.
0: <laughs> Yo, that was a sick show. Subterfuge, yeah, backup plan, microwave orphans. Um, no, they were gonna
1: play, but I don't think they ended up playing. It was subterfuge, backup plan, center zero, lariat. I want to say maybe. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that was a really fun show.
0: Technical difficulties was on Smithtown and Friends Volume One.
1: <laughs> yes, I remember that it was a great compilation.
0: Was the logo a raccoon?
1: Yeah, because uh, during that time, me and those guys would always drive through the uh, Kings Park Psych Center, and there'd always be like some like random raccoon that was crossing the road while we were doing that. So for some reason. <laughs> 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 um yeah so i guess we tried trying to uh make that our mascot but currently uh, my cat ivy hates people laughing so when we're laughing she's here biting me well while... <laughs> <laughs> it looked like almost a ripoff of like the screeching weasel like uh <laughs> artwork
0: Well, just last week, Extinction AD played our first show back since March of 2020, and I'm still feeling the effects of it, which goes to show you just how old I am. But we're just getting started because we'll be in Altoona, Pennsylvania, August 7th to support Bushido Code for their record release show from September 5th to 15th. We'll be hitting the road, making a stop at Full Terror Assault Fest and then doing some shows with Play Gears. If you want to hang out with us before those shows, go to the Extinction AD YouTube channel and hit subscribe, because this Thursday is episode 4 of It's Go Time, You Asshole, the show where we're once again cracking open some surprise energy drinks and slack-talking some shit. Never miss an episode over there, and never miss a proper workout, because i Hog Training is the place where I can help you reach your physical goals with either one-on-one personal training sessions or remote workout write-ups and coaching. Get in touch on Instagram or Facebook at Ironhawk Training NY, and let's get you in fighting shape. You'll need to be in fighting shape to absorb the Stiff Shots each Friday from the Stiff Shots podcast where we're leveling the world with our takes on professional wrestling, music, and shitty internet merchant services that don't care about their employees or their customers. But guess what? We do, and all we want to do is have some fun with our wrestling buddies. The real live ones, not the dolls from Christmas 1990. And while I'm throwing around plugs left and right, Let me tell you about something that I really think has been kicking ass lately, and that's my friends at Beast Belts and Knives. Once the world opened up and I realized I needed to attend events and not just constantly look like a schlub and exist in more than just workout attire, I hit up Beast Belts and Knives to get my formal attire back in proper shape because they have the sweetest custom belts. On top of that, they also have badass coin pouches field note wallets, and all kinds of other everyday carry leather goods to keep you organized. Also now, if you don't see something on the website that you're looking for, leave a message or contact them, and you can work directly with the man behind it all because it's all custom. Get to them at beastbeltsandknives.com and follow them on Instagram for updates and new products at beastbeltsandknives. I'm telling you guys, you don't want to wind up like Rick to Life from the New York Hardcore documentary replacing some flimsy weak ass belt every few days you want something reliable and custom for you and the way to do that is with beast belts and knives if you can't win a championship belt order a custom one from beast belts and knives The Thrasher of the Week, the debut album released November 13th, 2001 by Andrew W.K., I Get Wet. Man, where do we even start with this record? (laughs) It's a lot. From my point of view, this came out of nowhere and took the world by storm. I remember first hearing this while I was playing on MTV and really taking like weeks to wrap my head around it.
1: Yeah, I, I didn't like it when I, first, when I first saw it. I was like, what the heck? What is it? I didn't know what to make of it. And I was just like, oh, this is stupid. And this guy's like trying too hard or something. And then when I like heard the rest of the, I don't remember who had the album, but then I just started hearing it track by track and think might have downloaded it off of whatever it was, pick at that time, LimeWire, <laughs> <or> Kazaa, whatever, computers, <laughs> <laughs> a million viruses. And I was like, wow, this is like genius and really catchy. <laughs> is
0: that what it is that made everybody turn around their opinions on this album? Because I feel like everybody did that same exact thing they saw it on an MTV and they're like, what the fuck is this? And then all of a sudden everyone's like, yo, that record's pretty good. It's like, how does everybody yeah. have this record?
1: I don't know. I mean, I think just seeing the guy, you would just not know what to make of it, but then just actually hearing him speak and seeing that he was seemingly genuine and like a larger than life, almost like superhero character and that the music was just really catchy and though it was kind of simple on the surface, it was actually much more deeper. You know, he's He was like a piano virtuoso and really could write some good like melodies and there's a lot going on there's just instruments and vocals on top of vocals and everything's really processed and it's just a really big record and it just gets you hyped up and just it doesn't make sense because there's like weird random keyboards going on but then it's just really <laughs> loud like in your face and it was just uh when people just heard the whole album it just made sense at least uh you know not, not just hearing party hard it kind of put everything
0: together i agree with all of that because of the time frame i was so into my hardcore bubble But then not just the catchiness of the first single, Party Hard, but the vibe kind of got me. And I was like, maybe I hear a little Misfits here and the production is metal. Like, what's going on? But the vibe permeated everyone because it seemed like everybody loved this album in due time. Metalheads and punks and hardcore fans. I remember Andrew WK played Furnace Fest with hardcore and metalcore bands he played the downtown with most precious blood the backup plan loved this album so much i remember they covered one of the songs (laughs) at outer limits
1: yeah yeah i think it was party hard they covered at outer limits i completely forgot about that until now but yeah they definitely did 100 it kind of could appeal to everybody it had the simplicity and catchiness of like a kind of like a ramones or misfits thing going on but then it also the guitars are really heavy and the drum beat was really driving where it could like definitely appeal to like hard rock or metal type stuff and the vocals are really loud and like kind of yelly but also kind of singing it was just summed up like all great ingredients of stuff that would just be like cool to listen to for all those kind of scenes
0: i don't feel like this record could have come out at any time and been a success but i think there are very specific times over the course of the last like 40 years that this could have come out i think that's really really crazy The production obviously would have been a bit different, but just these songs and the energy, I think would have worked in the mid seventies, any point of the eighties, actually the later nineties, of course, the early two thousands. I think if this came out now, it would probably be more internet based, but I think it would be huge regardless, which is really, really interesting to me at least.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, especially now with how there's so many, you know, online personas and YouTube stars and things like that. It's weird because if you just heard the music and didn't see, like, what he looked like or what he was about or the way he acted or the way he dressed, it would be one thing. But putting that all together with the music that he was just a crazy guy, you know, like, I mean, the front cover, he's bleeding. And, you know, supposedly the story is that he first he tried to hit himself with a cinder block. (laughs) But then that that didn't produce enough blood. So then he got like pig's blood from a butcher and put it on and like... And, like, he also gave himself a – in the Party Hard video, he has, like, a gash on his forehead that I think he did with, like, a box cutter because <laughs> – I don't know. <laughs> One thing, if it was just, like, radio only, you wouldn't really I – th- I think it's just, like, that combined with the visuals is what just makes it a complete package.
0: <laughs> yeah, he's a total cartoon character. The white T-shirt and the white jeans.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, I mean, you know, th- there's just so much stuff. I don't know if you've, like, read about any of it, how – you know, there's all these conspiracy things with him where he he tried or people are saying he's not really a real person. He was an actor and he was hired to play this part or that Dave Grohl was possibly behind it. <laughs> I've
0: never heard that.
1: <laughs> oh my gosh, if you want to go down a big Internet rabbit hole there, the whole thing, because right after uh, the second album came out, which was The Wolf, it was called. And then after a concert in New Jersey, supposedly the set ended early and there was something going on. His website got hacked. This is all supposedly by someone called Steve Mike, who was supposedly like the creator of Andrew WK. It's, it's a whole internet rabbit hole. And, and I think is that he basically is behind the whole thing. And I think it's just kind of a he's also a performance artist uh, other than just a musical artist. I think he has like kind of like a Andy Warhol or Andy Kaufman type thing going on where he's trying to almost portray a character that's kind of larger than life. And then make you question it to think like, oh, this looks really sugary. And on, on the surface, is like, oh, this guy, he likes partying. He's really positive, And he's got all these songs about partying. But then, you know, if you read some of the lyrics, some of the songs on I Get Wet, they're contradictory to just like having fun and party, you know, like ready to die. And like uh, even this, the lyrics for uh, I Love New York City are really strange. So he basically, uh, it came out that someone found his journal from 98 or 97 when he was living in New York. And that he had this whole grand scheme of things that he was going to create something that undeniably exists and was in your face and then spend the rest of his career kind of trying to destroy that. (laughs) That, that. (laughs) But it's it's real. I mean, I'll send you the stuff, but it's really fascinating. I mean, there's if it's not really the journal from that time, then he did it to make it look like it is because it's there's like drawing like sketch art of like what the character would look like, like almost in, in like a comic book or a movie where someone would be drawing up visuals or projections of what they want a character to look like. It's, it's really out there. I mean, there's, But in my opinion, I think he's behind all of it. But it's just genius, so.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That is insane. I had never heard of any of that. And you know what? That doesn't affect how I think about it either way. Either it is a real person, Andrew WK, and this is what he's really like, and I buy into it. Or somebody, you know, this guy created this character, Andrew WK, and I buy into that character. So I love it one way or the other.
1: Oh, yeah. No, it doesn't change the fact that I love it, but I think it just gives it more layers to think it's even more genius than just simplicity genius. It's like a lot more layers going on behind that. So I I just, I love it for everything that it is.
0: So you were talking about some crazy lyrics before, and dude, there are some crazy fucking lyrics on this album. So let's get into some (laughs) of these songs. The first song in the album, It's Time to Party, has probably... (laughs) my favorite lyric on the entire album because i didn't know that this was the lyric until you know maybe a few years ago (laughs) and it blew my mind that in the first song like the the big climax of the song is we're all gonna come in your face
1: (laughs) right so you could take it two ways like a sexual thing or it could just be like you know, oh, we're going to rush you in the door and go, you know, but I mean, <laughs> who knows? Who knows what it's meant that.
0: <laughs> oh, it's so fucking funny. Also, the fact that his whole deal is like positivity and partying. I just want to party. Let's have fun and party, party, party. Then he did this. Do you remember he did this thing on MTV where he was like, hang out in the dorm room or something and oh it, yeah it came out like oh i don't drink and it's people right, are right. like why right. you don't drink you love the party it's like that's not what partying's about that can be for you but not for me and that was so crazy to me right it was like a
1: whole it could be a, a mindset or just how you live your life didn't necessarily have to be doing drugs and drinking it would just be like having a good t- you know he, he even following his twitter it's just like sitting in a closet in the dark could be partying or something like <laughs>
0: I forgot that he has a Twitter. Sometimes it'll show it when people hit like on it, but I don't follow it. I should follow it. Yeah, together. yeah, yeah. What do you think your favorite lyric on this whole album is?
1: Hmm. I really
0: like, uh, I think my favorite track
1: on it is I Get Wet. I don't know. I mean, I really like just the whole thing with the melody and the, the keyboard parts and the lead parts. But um, I think a lot of the, like the Ready to Die, ones have some good uh, lyrics on it this is your time to pay this is your judgment day we made a sacrifice and now we get to take your life <laughs> it's
0: so <laughs> we crazy shoot,
1: we, we shoot without a gun we'll take on anyone it's really nothing new it's just a thing we like to do <laughs>
0: <laughs> because the vibe okay the entire record almost everything is major so you're talking about ready to die The intro, first off, on that song is just fucking bonkers, man, with Baby's first keyboard. (laughs) (laughs) And then those lyrics, but even the song before that, Girl's Own Love, it's so heavy, even though it has the piano, and it's so major. It's a complete mindfuck of an album.
1: No, it is. Yeah, you're right. Everything is major. And now further down the line, he's just coming out uh, with the new stuff, and it's all like minor and like heavy like more metal sounding It almost sounds like zeo or something it's like crazy yeah uh, if you haven't heard any of that I'll, I'll send you some stuff sometime but it's like opposite of what he's doing now but yeah this is all like major uh keys
0: <laughs> i have to hear that i wonder if i would be like bummed out on that because i don't think of him in that
1: way <laughs> right that's why i mean like i think the whole thing with him was he was doing kind of like the pull the yin and the yang you know the white all the way and like a lot of these videos now he's dressed in black so He's on Napalm Records now, so which is obviously a, a metal <laughs> record label. So, you know, he's still got that energy, but like it's more the lyrics are darker and uh, he's wearing black and some of this stuff, but they're good songs. It's just a 180 from what he was doing with this stuff.
0: <laughs> it's really interesting. A thing that comes up constantly with Andrew W.K. is his relation with the band Obituary, so much so that even when apparently when he was putting together the band. He was living in New York, and he just sent a letter through the mail to Donald (laughs) Tardy, the drummer of Obituary, because he loved Obituary so much, and said, hey, I'm doing this band. Do you want to do it? And crazy enough, Donald said yes, and then helped him put together his entire band, which is just insane. But I guess it says a lot to what you were saying with the drums being so driving. And even though this is – if this is stripped down – this is, like you said earlier also, very ramones But if you put that clean production on top of it with metal-sounding guitars, it becomes this whole other beast. The song, She Is Beautiful, is so metal, even though it's not metal. But again, <laughs> it absolutely is 100% a metal song.
1: Oh, yeah. And that guitar uh, intro is uh, so sick. I mean, it's like... Uh, I was actually... You know just not doing anything musically lately and having extended times I don't pick up the guitar, I was kind of like, you know, oh, I want to play this <laughs> the other like month or whatever. And it's like, it's a fun little uh, riff that it opens up with, and it's uh, just a really cool like uh metal lead, kind of like a more like a glam, like uh, 80s or something.
0: Ken, who's in obituary now, was initially the guitar tech for Andrew WK, and I believe he wound up playing guitar for the band at some point also. We did a tour with Obituary, I guess, about two years ago now, and it was so cool to, after you know, we got to know him a little bit, to ask about playing with Andrew WK, because it's so fucking weird. Obituary, this legendary death metal band playing <laughs> this major key, just heavy rock band, but after you know the guys a little bit, it makes sense because even though they play the style of music they do in obituary, they're just guys that love to play aggro music and drink beer and have a good time.
1: Just a crazy story. Like you said, it was him, uh, just sending a tape and being like, you know, I like your band. I'm trying I have this vision for this big in your face, like loud songs, you know, that I just want someone that I respect and whose band I was a fan of to, uh, play on my album. And it's, You know, how many times is that going to happen where someone just sends you a demo tape and you're like, all right, cool. And I'll help you find other people for the band.
0: It's really crazy. Party till you puke. (laughs) (laughs) Dude, he's always talking about dying and then not dying.
1: (laughs) Right, right.
0: (laughs) The chorus in this song. Is like a hardcore breakdown, only super produced, and of course, again, fucking major. Not a metalcore breakdown, but a traditional hardcore breakdown. And I know that's the ongoing thing that I keep talking about, but it's just so intriguing to me how this super heavy album is just so major and this kind of dichotomy that's going on in this album. But the vibe is what it is, and then all of this wrapped up in the fact that this was a major label release in two thousand one.
1: Yeah, Island Records. Yeah. (laughs) Also, it's just funny too because you have all that stuff going in the background, and then like the keyboards are just so up front, especially in uh, "Part Till You Puke." It's like it's almost like a new wave like hook with like the keyboards making that like doo 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 -doo thing. Like it's just a blend of different stuff that you wouldn't expect to hear. Just like putting on an album with some guys talking about you know, judging the book by its covers, the guy's face is bleeding and then just hearing this kind of music when you put it in the CD, it's like,
0: it's crazy. As well as what was big around this time as far as the mainstream goes, because he was a part of the mainstream, even though he dabbled in underground stuff as well. The quote unquote heavier stuff at this time was the beginning of, I guess like modern butt rock, but we're still in like the new metal era.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure.
0: And of course we had that early 2000s hip hop. This doesn't fit in anywhere in the mainstream but it was such a big deal
1: yeah it just kind of came out of nowhere and it was like uh people just latched onto it and thought it was cool
0: and it is cool man this guy rocks where does this stand for you in your favorite albums and why
1: you know it's definitely in my top 10 for sure on the surface like you can kind of just be like oh this is kind of stupid it's just this guy talking about partying and it's you know these songs are just goofy and but it's, it's just all the stuff that kind of like i was saying it just makes up his his whole performance. I I always liked kind of like the idea of a front man that has a very big personality or has a very specific way of dressing and kind of uh, acting. It's just almost like a concept album in my opinion. And I've always been a fan of that. You know, it it gets overdone at times, but um, the songs like uh, if I listen to this album, I'm not going to skip any song. They all seem to be, you know, just great. And they're all kind of short, easy to listen to. And it gets you pumped up and you feel good. It wasn't reinventing the wheel anything he was doing here, but it was just, like you said, so out of nowhere. I felt like it was such a cool thing to hear at the time. Yeah, I just think that whole thing wrapped up with him and how he formed the band and how all the guys from the band were just so into it, into his vision, and it was just so cool. And when I didn't know what to expect when I first saw him live. I thought it could be him, because I know he could play all the instruments himself, and he did, I think, on his next album. So when I went to see him live, I think it was like (laughs) Jeff... And uh, Dan Brenner really into the album. And we went to go see him in New York City at some weird like party that was an anniversary of some, I don't know. But they hired him to play. And I didn't know if I was just going to see a guy standing up there singing along to like, a DJ track or, or what. But it was just like hearing that record, but just right there. And it was just incredible. So uh, it's it's about the music. It's about the songs. And it's just about the whole experience for me.
0: If you were going to join his band, what would your character be? <laughs>
1: that's a good one. Um, he had a guy that was with him called Jimmy coop. He had, was a guy in the Hawaiian shirts and like almost like a, <laughs> like a, like a elementary school style bathing suit. Like remember? That? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They're like really like, like soft and like tissuey and like kind of short. He was like his hype man. Like he'd be on stage and he'd be like, do you understand? This is Andrew WK. And he'd be like screaming at him. Unfortunately, I guess they had a falling out or whatever. And he ended up leaving the band, which sucks. But, uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't mind, like, replacing a guy like that, like, kind of just being up there and singing a lot. He sang a lot of the backups, and, like, he almost added to, like, the layers of his voice and stuff when Andrew would be singing. So, uh, yeah, I'd like to be a guy like that. And, and there'd be times where he wasn't even playing. He would just be, like, strumming, like, an open note and just, like, kind of pumping his fist because there was, like, <laughs> four guitars in the band anyway. So I would definitely be one of those hype men where, like, not the full front, like, Andrew WK is, but, like, you know, his side guy, his, uh, his supporter. And... Uh, yeah, I would definitely wear a Hawaiian shirt, but with no sleeves.
0: This week's slasher, the indie horror film that turned a profit of 22 million fucking dollars, released in the United States March 13th, 2015 it follows much to my dismay. This isn't named after or have anything to do with the minor threat song in the same title. <laughs> I watched this for free on Tubi, which despite everyone telling me to download for the better part of two years, I finally just did the other day. This was my first watch of this movie. When did you first see this movie and what made you choose it?
1: I don't know if somebody recommended it or just like the cover look cool. Cause it could look like kind of like an throwback, like eighties type thing. I think I do maybe like the premise of just something, follow it around. But, uh, just kind of threw it on. I think actually we may have watched it over at, uh, at the old apartment at nine 33. I just thought it was really cool. I wasn't expecting like anything. I'm, I'm curious to think uh, what your thoughts on it. If not possibly not knowing anything beforehand.
0: I didn't know anything about this movie at all when you brought it up, but I also saw the cover. I think the cover is super cool. You know what? There's a ton of horror movie tropes in this movie. Oh yeah. I think this was kind of at the very beginning of the resurgence of 80s tropes in horror movies this is kind of just pre stranger things
1: right yeah i think it was around like maybe just before the whole stranger things coming out
0: so not just the tropes but the soundtrack is very on par with that and that's just overtaken horror movies over the past i think like five or six years since that right. kind of 80s synth vibe
1: yeah for sure 100 but uh, this is probably this and stranger things around that time is probably the ones that kind of Brought it back again to the forefront, in my opinion.
0: One of the first tropes that I really did like, the first scene being the precursor to what the entire movie is going to embody, but it gives it without any context. And then it winds up ending with that leg on the beach, (laughs) that crunched out, bent ass shit, dead (laughs) as hell on the beach.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a very uh, striking uh, kind of visual with the leg like that. I don't know how you could possibly come up with something to that. <laughs> and it's cool, too, because that whole beginning part, you don't really know, you know, like you said, if you're going into it completely blind, you know what's going on. And it's all like one long shot, kind of how, you know, the, the camera just follows her around. There's a lot of those like I love those like long shots that, uh, that they do during the movie.
0: So actually, let's just run through some things that happened in this movie that I took notes of. Yeah, yeah. A chick farts while reading her (laughs) Tamagotchi.
1: It's so random out of nowhere. This thing. What what would she say? Something like, I have an idea or a thought, and then rips one and uh, (laughs) it went (laughs) away.
0: I wasn't sure if I sucked for even taking note of that, but I thought that was so goddamn funny.
1: I knew knew that we'd be talking about that for some reason.
0: (laughs) The main character, Jay, goes on a date and her date freaks out at the movie theater, but it winds up being an okay date in the end because she winds up getting blasted in a car <laughs> and then gets Undertaker at WrestleMania 9 style <laughs> yeah. before she has to sit in Professor Xavier's chair. <laughs> And that leads to another trope The trope of teens having sex in horror movies Being their demise I initially thought this was the same date But apparently this is meant to be Like a couple of different dates
1: Yeah, yeah, I think it wasn't like their first date I think they were hanging out And then it led up to them Banging in the car or whatever
0: <laughs> So at this point you still have no idea what's going on
1: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah You definitely, you don't know if it's going to be like a slasher thing And he's like the bad guy or You don't know what's going on
0: we get a naked ghost, which is scary.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's definitely the naked ghost walking towards you, which is uh, that's a lot another thing. Like, the nakedness in this is kind of not a sexual thing. It's more of like an uncomfortable, weird thing anytime that you see somebody naked in this.
0: Yeah, because whenever there are any sex scenes, nobody's naked. Right. So right. that's a very interesting juxtaposition there. I don't know if you took notice of this, but Jay has, like, a straight-edge tattoo on her finger. (laughs) Does she really?
1: Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. No, I think I did. uh, There's, like, a uh, up uploads of her hand, and you do see something like that, like an X or whatever, a cross or
0: something. The old man from the Metallica Unforgiven video is here. (laughs) (laughs) So after Jay's watching an old movie with her childhood friend— a zombie appears, and I love <laughs> that she runs up the stairs, another horror movie trope, yeah, and then yeah. rides a bike away, like <laughs> Pee Wee's Playhouse.
1: Speaking of just, you know, watching the stuff on the TV, that's another thing that you can't really place what time period that it takes place in, because that the one girl, the one that farts, um, he <laughs> has like a shell, like almost like an e-reader, kind of like gadget, but then their televisions are like bunny ears, like watching black and white old sci-fi movies and stuff. It's weird, that whole uh, juxtaposition of like the uh, you can't tell what time period it is, because I think that was something that kind of keeps you uncomfortable and off balance, that you don't know if this is like present day, or the 80s, or in the future, you just really don't know what's going on.
0: I thought that part was really, really interesting, because there's no cell phones in this entire movie, which I know, like you said, we have that e-reader But that's really the only modern technology that I can remember. So it's like, wait a minute, what the fuck? Because those TVs, it could be like, oh, they're just poor. Right. But it kind of doesn't exactly make sense. Another thing with that that's very kind of innocuous, where they are, it's implied that they're in Detroit because they talk about 8 Mile and not Eminem. (laughs) They don't really go into it at all at any point. Even when they're talking about the school, it's a very generic school name. they're going to
1: i believe the guy that wrote it maybe grew up in detroit he wanted to take place there so he wanted to have it some some nods to detroit so you can see that it's kind of taking place there but i don't know the exact reason why
0: then greg shows up and everybody knows who greg is but i don't know who greg is
1: (laughs) (laughs) he's like the neighbor or whatever like i guess across the street and they kind of imply that I don't know if they were friends or they used to be friends, but I guess he, they make a comment when he's sitting with his mom or whatever that, oh, they're crazy over there at that house or there's always something going on. So I don't know if it made that there was like some trauma going on with like, cause it doesn't seem like the dad's in the picture. So, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know if it's just someone that kind of knew the family and they lived across the street and I think it seemed like he was a little bit older than
0: her. So yeah, and we skipped over the whole point of the mom who is like this peripheral character at best, which is yeah. really, really strange. I think we only yeah. see her like passed out a few times.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of the adults in the movie seem to be absent for whatever reason. They kind of don't really do anything. Like if someone's breaking into your house, you're a teenager or whatever. You probably run and tell your parents that someone's breaking in the house, but it's kind of like she's just like there and isn't like an authority figure really to help them out for whatever reason
0: so jay and greg and the little nerd and the whole group they drive through mastic to break <laughs> into a house and look at porno magazines
1: <laughs> Yeah, with with uh, some crumpled up tissues too in my day
0: <laughs> yeah it's crumpled up shorts from that um andrew wk hype man <laughs> They find Hugh, who turns out to be Jeff, just exposing the entire story of the plot of the movie, of which we will get to later on, but (laughs) the exposing of the story so calmly was very surprising to me. I thought that was kind of going to be the crux of the entire movie, is figuring it out, but we're about halfway through, and it's like, no, this is what's going on.
1: Yeah. I think he doesn't know exactly how it works. I think that was the uh, the writer's kind of uh, plan was that, you know, they weren't going to find some old mystical guy in the woods that was like, oh, this demon was created back in, you know, whatever, B.C., and this is how you defeat it, and this is what it does. So I think he's operating with just telling them what he knows about it, but he doesn't really know everything about this creature or demon or whatever whatever you want to call it. He's just going on his experience of what he was able to figure out about it.
0: So I thought this was an interesting thing about the movie. You essentially just explained the entire plot, which we don't really get a payoff or maybe not. We don't get a payoff, but we don't get a real cut and dry explanation of what's going on. We only know what the characters in the movie know. Even at the end of the movie, we're never told how this whole thing started, what it means, why it's happening. It is just essentially somebody got, I guess, quote unquote infected by this, spirit or something and you have to pass this spirit along to somebody else by sleeping with them and then hoping that it just keeps getting passed on so whoever had it last doesn't get killed because then it goes down and down and down and down through the chain of uh i guess past fuckers right (laughs) yeah because that's that was
1: another thing that you'd never you know so say you had this thing and you pass it on you never know you're never really in the clear because someone might not be able to evade it like you did, and then it's going to come back to you at some point. You're not going to really know until, you know, you kind of always got to, to be on guard.
0: So the nerd in the movie, I don't remember what his name is. At one point, the ghost that is chasing Jay kind of makes their presence felt and seen. The nerd hits the ghost with a chair. Jay shoots it. <laughs> Hilarious yeah. that a ghost is vulnerable to these things, but also, you know, they're not.
1: Yeah. That's why you don't know. Like it seems to fall down from that. And it seems, you know, it's obviously not necessarily a spirit because uh, while the other people can't see it, it's obviously there because they could do things to it and it can do things to them. You know, it's really just going after the one person that is infected or whatever you want to call it last.
0: Jay winds up getting to a car crash. She's in the hospital. Greg nails her in the hospital. (laughs) The plan you is know? to get the spirit out of the group, I assume, and that's why he's eating bread with random mall chicks in the cafeteria? Like, that's his means <laughs> of seduction after he blasts Jay in the hospital?
1: You know, I think he was probably—in my opinion, I think he gave it to someone else. He didn't really think it would come back. I don't even know if he actually believed it to begin with. He maybe would have just been looking for uh, an easy lay or something in the hospital. <laughs>
0: That's the thing, man. You don't really know because is Greg trustworthy or is he slimy? Is the nerd trustworthy or is he just like this lovesick little dork that's just trying <laughs> right. to get laid for the first time? Right. Everybody's character is very, very loosely defined.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think they almost kind of wanted to make the different kind of characters. And they all, the way they dressed too, all kind of looked like a different era almost. Like, uh, yeah, the characters are very strange the way that they were uh, portrayed in this.
0: This is what's cool about doing this because you're saying things and it's putting things together in my mind in ways that I didn't even think about the movie until we were talking about it.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's the thing. You know, it was kind of, it's not so cut and dry. I mean, some people were saying they thought it was just like, oh, like an anti-sex thing. Like, oh, if you get an STD, you're going to pass it on to somebody and then you're always going to have it. You know So that would be like some people's explanation. But then I don't think the, the writer had that in his head. I think I almost think he didn't say exactly what it was. You know, a lot of times, you know, sometimes I think it's a cop out where like, oh, well, it's your own interpretation, you know. But I think there are clues in here where you can kind of put two and two together that like it maybe has to do with some sort of like sexual trauma or something how that can get passed down to people and like if you're abused by someone and it kind of uh you know you take that abuse with you and kind of you might pass that on to somebody so that's kind of maybe what i got with that because like even with all the nakedness it's almost like kind of like a weird uncomfortable thing rather than like a, a sexual like eye candy thing so i don't know i thought it was something like that
0: i like that take a lot more than it just being a big metaphor for stds
1: Yeah, I think it's more, it goes deeper than that.
0: So let's jump to the pool scene. In the beginning, I thought the pool scene was a little confusing. Like, what, they're just going to try to electrocute this ghost (laughs) because they have all these lamps from 1985 they're going to throw in it? (laughs) But first, we get a few water reflection shots, which I think are just amazing. But then we find out why they brought all the lamps, and they're trying to kind of trick the ghost and get the ghost to throw the lamps so they can figure out where it is. So the nerd picks up a gun, as if this thing can be shot, <laughs> and he winds up shooting Yara, the farting chick, right. in yes. the leg, <laughs> and they seriously never really touch on the fact <laughs> that this lovesick, horny nerd shoots four-eyed Yara in the leg by accident <laughs> the whole rest of the movie.
1: It just kind of like happened, and then she's there in the hospital towards the end the but- <laughs> I think the uh, the writer of the movie wanted to make it like almost like a dumb plan that teenagers would come up with that they had no idea really how to hurt this ghost. They were just like, oh, let's bring it to a pool and try to electrocute it. Like It wasn't supposed to be really a good plan because they don't know if like that's the weakness or that can kill this thing. But I think it was kind of supposed to be like a stupid plan that kids would come up with to try and kill something that they didn't really understand. Like, oh, let's electrocute it in the pool. Like, <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, I like that. So the nerd finally gets to blast Jay and then drives around looking for a whore. And then he's dating Jay while Yara reads her Tamagotchi in the hospital. And then nerd and Jay walk down the road holding hands. But we see in the background they're being followed.
1: And it might be just nothing or it could still be that they're being followed and like a lot of things aren't wrapped up. You don't know if he did sleep with these whores. You don't know if um, <laughs> <laughs> you don't know uh, the scene back when Jay goes to like swim and she sees like three guys out on the boat. You don't know if she like went and got like gang banged by them or something or like <laughs> and gave it to them. Like because it's kind of implied she's yeah. like looking at water and then she's wet. She <laughs> she gets wet like Andrew WK. <laughs>
0: <laughs> she doesn't come back with a bloody nose.
1: Right. Right. But then she's in the car and she kind of looks like she did possibly did something she might have regret. So it's hard to really say what went on exactly. But I don't know if you picked up on it, which I didn't the first time I saw it. On the second time watching it, I did when the ghost appears in the pool and Shay doesn't want to tell her sister what it looks like it's actually their dad. So if you look towards the beginning of the movie, they show some pictures of her family in the house and the guy in the picture is what the ghost looks like at the end. So it's implied that it's their dad. So maybe, you know, like I said, you don't really know exactly what was going on with this family. If there was like some sexual abuse or just physical abuse, or if he just up and left and left the family. But I think it's implied that it's going to appear as somebody, sometimes something that you don't know what it is, but Other times, it might appear as something that's going to have some sort of emotional impact on you. So that's what it chose when it was in the the pool scene.
0: You know, that makes a lot of sense, especially because when the ghost attacks Greg, it's also his mom. So there are a lot of kind of awkward parental interactions here. So that really, really could be the crux of the whole thing.
1: Yeah, because even, you know, when she comes to the door, she's kind of like half-dressed. She got like one of her boobs hanging out and then it almost looks like she like gets on him and like dry humps him to death or something, you know, like it's it's some weird sexual abuse type overtones
0: or something going on. If you had to change one thing about this movie, what do you think you'd change?
1: I definitely like how they left it ambiguous with the time period and stuff like that. So I like the set. I like the shots. I like all of that kind of stuff. Maybe just defining the characters and their motivations a little bit more. And kind of making you maybe get attached to someone a little bit more and more clear defining of their motivations and stuff. A little more character development. But then again, I think maybe it could be left ambiguous just because that fit into the movie. Maybe a little bit more tighter wrapped up at the end and knowing if the... I mean, you know, most horror movies kind of have that last like shock. Like, oh, you don't know if this thing's really dead or not. But maybe knowing what this ghost weakness was somehow or if it could be stopped i mean i kind of like that it didn't really tell you where it came from but uh maybe just a little bit clearer cut you know like a prequel maybe which they may actually come out with like an it follows too or it still follows or something like that or it (laughs) it will follow (laughs) yeah
0: (laughs) what do you think the weakness should be
1: maybe it would be love like a hug or something (laughs) and a healthy relationship
0: Now that you're done having unenjoyable hospital bed sex with your longtime neighbor, it's time for you to do the zombie following while you learn about this very much a live sponsor. DTFM Vinyl Distro is a record store that specializes in underground music such as punk, metal, hardcore, ska, oi, and more. Shop in person in Fargo, North Dakota Monday through Saturday or shop online 24-7 at DTFMVinylDistro.com. Follow DTFM on Instagram at DTFM Vinyl and on Facebook at DTFM Vinyl Distro. DTFM Vinyl, where the policy is death to false metal. Way beyond the road to WrestleMania, 23 years ago today, August 2nd, 1998, we had the debut episode of WWF Sunday Night Heat, a second nighttime show added to WWF's program, which included just Monday Night Raw during the height of the Attitude Era. This show predated SmackDown by an entire year. I know I was stupidly all in to wrestling at this point. Were you watching around this time? Yeah,
1: growing up I remember um being at like my aunt's house and I would like sit down her old looking TV and like it was not like the big matches. It would be like on a Saturday and it would be like a big guy but fighting like a jobber or something, you know, like I don't even know what show I could have possibly been watching, but it seemed like the big matchups would only be for like pay-per-view events maybe. Did they used to do that like back in like the mid to early
0: 90s yeah you're talking about superstars of wrestling 12 o'clock channel five Saturday afternoon
1: yeah that's definitely what I was watching then (laughs) you know I would watch that and I had knowledge of like you know other things going on like I definitely remember very vividly like the undertaker locking the ultimate warrior in the casket because I had a bunch of friends that I played soccer with on my like travel team that had like the illegal box and like that was a big thing like oh this happened so, like, you know, I had knowledge of it, but um, I really started following it a lot during, like, that Attitude Era when it was really, like, there, like, 98, 99, 2000, like, around that time.
0: So, let's talk about episode one of Heat. It starts off, and this intro music sucks.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I like, you know, that that pre-thing, because I'm used to hearing it go right into, like, the Attitude, uh, the raw song, like, That thing. Like it's like that build up where it's like and they show like wrestling, but then it's like a shitty song.
0: Then Shane McMahon comes out to be the third commentator. I'm not sure. I was gonna look into it and then I just, you know, did not. Is this Shane McMahon's first appearance on TV as the character Shane McMahon? I think it might be. Uh, Did he? So this is where I'm a little bit lost. Did he used to do commentary?
1: Because I know Vince did commentary at some point. But did Shane ever do commentary
0: before this appearance? As far as I know, he did not. But I really could be wrong. I know he came out as like a referee every so often and just like a backstage official. And I'm sure he was recognized before this as, oh, that's Vince McMahon's son. But I think this might have been the first time he came out as the character Shane McMahon. And he comes out with... Hot women, and of course, <laughs> right behind them, there's a sign that says boobs equals ratings.
1: <laughs> yeah, that, that sums up. I mean, uh, yeah, it was definitely that time where uh, they were definitely pushing the envelope for the uh, the raunchiness on Tealuk TV, I guess.
0: <laughs> yeah, and that's going to come up essentially this entire show. But the first match, we have a very, very young, new to WWF career edge taking on Jeff Jarrett who is with Tennessee Lee. I love all three of these guys. Jeff Jarrett is just on fire right now on the internet. This match, they both hit what becomes their finishers later on in their lives as setup moves in here, which I think is interesting. The finisher is so typically wrestling and like kind of funny, but I really, really like the finish. I really, really like this match.
1: Yeah, it was funny to see Edge with the spear and that's like his like finisher now almost. And uh, yeah, that's like it's funny because this was like around the time I started watching it. So I didn't know that Jeff Jarrett had like a manager at this point. Like I kind of remember him more like teaming with Owen Hart and Deborah and like that was their like thing. So seeing him look and like be a little different was kind of cool.
0: And this match kind of started the angle which would break him away from his manager, you know, because he trips him by accident and all that shit. I also liked, and I always talk about this when we do shows from this era just short TV matches. There's no lulls. It's totally high intensity, but it's not like you can't follow the story. And what? It was like four or five minutes?
1: Oh, yeah, not long at all. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty short.
0: Then we get a DX promo, Triple H, X Pac china lots of signs about aids which is just yeah, I saw so that. uncomfortable <laughs>
1: yeah so what did, what did it say something with hiv and uh, i can't remember now top of my head
0: <laughs> triple hiv yeah that was <laughs> like yo what are you doing yeah, what the- that's, that's really weird but yeah oh boy man this is insane just triple h coercing chicks to take their boobs out And I'm getting uncomfortable, even though I loved this at the time, you know, the horny (laughs) 18-year-old, but now it's uncomfortable, and they do it, and hey, man, I love boobs, but this (laughs) is still weird as hell. Was this like a
1: normal thing that they would do? Because I don't ever remember Triple H doing this. Was that like, uh, did they do that a bunch of times, or was this just for like Sunday Night Heat, the first one, or...
0: This happened every so often, and I think okay. it was discouraged, but from what I know about wrestling, this probably was very encouraged because it was the debut episode of the show. But they get yeah. two chicks to take their boobs out, and then they're just panning the camera, and everybody's doing it. It's fucking crazy. Right. Was the first one,
1: like, a plant, and then it made the rest do it? Or was it, like, he actually got this first girl to do it?
0: And <laughs> I don't know, but I'd assume that she was a plant.
1: Yeah, that's kind of what I thought. And then it was, like, the people in the audience are thinking, like, oh, all right, then I'll do it, because they're drunk or whatever yeah.
0: i shouldn't let 41 year old me ruin 18 year old me's fun here but it just makes me a little uncomfortable now but hey you know it's fine it's cool draws doing his real world style promo draws his world oh hey here's a wrestler we're trying to push oh right, cool what's his gimmick oh he throws up
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah so was that like the thing in his actual personal life that he just like would throw up if you made him talk about it or like that They tried to push that. It was a part of his wrestling character.
0: So apparently when he was in NFL, that's what he would do. He would just puke on the ball and freak people out. (laughs) So they're like, oh, you're going to be a wrestler. That's going to be your gimmick. (laughs) And you're going to (laughs) puke. We get that famous scene from Beyond the Mat with the, he's going to puke. Right, right, right. (laughs) But that leads us into the next match, which is the Headbangers and Draws taking on Kai and Ty. So much weird shit going on in this match. Before I talk about it, you tell me what you thought about this entire segment. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. So this is with uh with where Valvinus came out during it, right? Yep. <laughs> was he always with the headbangers um draws, or did he like join
0: them at some point? No, I think this was just a team up just to have a six-man match.
1: Okay, alright, alright. It's definitely weird, <laughs> for sure, because it's a weird matchup to begin with, and then the whole Valvinus like uh, what's what's his name? What's the uh, manager of the uh, the other two guys? Uh,
0: Mr. Yamaguchi.
1: Yeah, Mr. Yamaguchi. <laughs> that Valvinus would always happen to end up sleeping with somebody's family member and, like, <laughs> 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 or or spouse or girlfriend or boy, no, not boyfriend. They they could have done that. That would have been good. Um, but yeah, and then like the whole ch- uh, the chopping off his peepee
0: thing. <laughs> choppy choppy peepee.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it's like so ridiculous and so racist
0: like. <laughs> dude it's so weird especially when people now be like oh I don't like wrestling now I liked it during the Attitude Era now right. don't get me wrong there was a lot of good stuff in the Attitude Era but we also had stuff like this which is so funny and entertaining for a 14 year old a 15 year old even to an 18 year old but to look back now and be like oh that was when it was really sick like yo <laughs> <laughs> there. W- <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, it was a fun match, but it was just definitely weird. A lot of weird things going on during it.
0: <laughs> That's the thing, though, that also caught me by surprise. I really like the actual match of this again. It does a job and it's fun.
1: It was definitely a fun match to watch. Uh, they work well together. I enjoyed it for sure.
0: I really like Kai and Tai. I like Dick Togo. But then, Babyface, Val Venus tries to do it with the chick from pacific blue who's at ringside
1: oh right right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. the whole uh mario lopez thing
0: yeah until ac slater gets mad about it and beats him up <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck is going on here
1: <laughs> yeah it was weird to see like uh if you have a celebrity you know you kind of want to sell that the wrestler is going to be probably able to hold their own against the celebrity but if somebody like mario lopez is gonna be like oh well i'm buff you know i want to get the upper hand you know <laughs> where it's like you doubt he's gonna be able to tackle val Venus and like <laughs> actually like have security have to break them up
0: <laughs> pretty cool then we get a recap of jacqueline and sable who had a bikini contest and then vince mcmahon comes out and calls <laughs> sable a bitch just <laughs> very very 1998 but that brings us to D'Lo Brown taking on Ken Shamrock. He's defending the European title. This match was a bit of a slugfest.
1: Yeah, I always liked D'Lo too. For whatever reason, I thought the chest protector was a cool like, thing to have <laughs> like when he would come out in it.
0: <laughs> yeah, that was a really fun gimmick, and D'Lo was awesome at this time.
1: Yeah, he was a cool dude.
0: Steve Blackman and Dan Severn are there also. There's so much Gaga everywhere in this match, but shamrock's belly-to-belly is a thing of beauty there is a shitty dq finish
1: yeah that was kind of lame like i would rather them actually have a finish especially for like a match for the belt
0: yeah then shamrock throws a temper tantrum which is what i do every day (laughs) when i get any time alone because all of life is a pain in the ass that only exists to frustrate me at every turn
1: was was there any match that he didn't snap in? I feel like every time it was like, oh, he snapped and he's going and like flipping out about something.
0: Yeah, that was the way to get Shamrock to never really win any titles. Like, yeah, oh, yeah. he's just too unleashed. Right, right. <laughs>
1: but I actually didn't know the other guy. Like, I, I remembered Steve Blackman, but I didn't, I didn't know the other guy that he was with.
0: Dan Severin, another legit wrestler turned okay. professional wrestler. He did some UFC fighting as well.
1: Gotcha, gotcha.
0: Bart Gunn gets a promo. This is during the brawl for all with some chick and more <laughs> sexual innuendo.
1: <laughs> so this was, uh, how far away was this removed from with, uh, his match with, uh, Butterbean?
0: This is, um, about six months prior. Okay.
1: Okay. Cause I remember at John's wedding asking you about that. And like, I couldn't remember who it was. I think I said, uh, one of the Hollies, but it was Bart Gunn. Yeah,
0: <laughs> man. I well, love that fight. <laughs> So the main event of the show, we have Mankind and Kane taking on The Rock and Owen Hart. Super, super, superstar match right here. Owen Hart in the Nation of Domination was always kind of stupid to me. I mean, I get it, but I never really bought it. But on the other hand, the crowd is all over Owen. He is the breakout star of this match.
1: Yeah, I remember, because um, not knowing like the whole Nugget thing, I remember my friends like senior year, like, we would go into Borders' books and be looking around. <laughs> you know, it would have the little place cards with everyone's name, and it would be Ted Nugent. And they would be like, out a Nugget!
0: <laughs> Man, I'll take Owen Hart over Ted Nugent any day.
1: <laughs> I think I just knew in passing that with him joining the nation of domination. But yeah, it's definitely a weird thing.
0: Again, I like this match. I thought it was action-packed and doesn't overstay its welcome. The finish, I thought, should have sucked. But I liked it because it just showed how slimy Owen was.
1: Yeah, it was cool with the count out and he was able to get back in before. Yeah, I thought that was a cool idea.
0: The stardom in this match is just mind-blowing. But hey, first episode, all of these guys are still up and coming at this point, which is a crazy thing to say. Now, did they,
1: they do this to set up the role? Like, what was the reason to add Sunday Night Heat? Was it they needed more room to kind of tell stories, but that nothing like major would happen in it? Or what was their idea?
0: Initially, this was just to have more programming and he was going to be just as important as Raw in a manner of speaking, as far as having marquee matches. It was just going to be a one hour program. And Sunday night is, you know, a bit of a wrestling staple and they would use this as a pre-show when there were pay-per-views.
1: Oh, okay, so they would have one if there was a pay-per-view. It would be like the the dark, well, not a dark, but like the pre-show is how they do now kind of sort of thing.
0: Yeah, yeah. This didn't really lose favor until SmackDown started. That's when this oh, kind of yeah, became makes- a bit of a jobber show and a recap show. So did they have three running at one time then? Oh, yeah. A year and a half later, I think they had four or five. Wow, all right, all right.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. So they still had the Saturday one or no?
0: They had Saturday shows and syndication both during the day and at night, they had a syndicated late-night Sunday show as well as Heat and SmackDown and Raw. Wow. <laughs> All right. But this show, after being filled with superstar matches, ends with a promo by Steve Austin, which I thought was kind of fine. But you got to take it for what it was at the time. Austin was a mega, mega star. So just ending with a little promo with him, I guess, you know, constitutes his a main event.
1: Yeah, I feel like they just wanted to kind of have him on the show since it was like the first one.
0: So overall, what are your thoughts on this show? is it more wrestling or is it more, Hey, if you like this, you'll love the spice channel.
1: <laughs> yeah. I kind of got that vibe. I mean, you know, it wasn't a total preview because they actually, you know, wrestled and there was talent and there was good matches, but there, it was like an abbreviated version of everything. So it kind of was almost like a teaser, or like uh, a Smithtown and friends
0: sampling <laughs> <laughs> with a lot of porno <laughs> in it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, that's why That's another thing I missed the, depraved jerry Lawler, sexual addict like uh that whole persona that he used to have where he'd flip out over every breast or uh butt that would like come on screen
0: okay it's now time to rebook the territory jay from it follows thinks the pool is going to be a strategic way of defeating the mystery ghoul andrew wk also loves to get wet so, what would be his strategy in the movie it follows? Hmm.
1: His his bright idea. I think he would probably challenge it to like a like one of those dance off things where he like goes crazy on stage. Like at the if you ever watched his first appearance on Saturday Night Live, where coincidentally enough, The Rock was the host. <laughs> <he'd> like- <laughs> While you know, while the band's doing all their like little fills and like the end of the song, he's doing these like ridiculous like you know whipping windmills around and like doing like an Irish jig and like headbanging and like you know where it looks like you're saying your neck hurt after last night. It looks like his whole entire body's getting like thrown out of whack. That way. So like, <laughs> I think he would try and like challenge the ghost to like this ridiculous dance off and make it crack its neck and bend backwards like the leg did at the beginning. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> you bent ghost leg <laughs> Sunday Night Heat is half about the matches and fights and half about the party and boobs what segment from the show could Andrew WK been a part of and how would he become a part of the story
1: he would definitely have to cut some sort of promo I don't know if he'd be I could necessarily see him in a match probably sitting at like the commentators table taking a microphone and bashing it over like someone's head <laughs> Or that, like, The Rock could really eat a bunch of chocolate eclairs and hot dogs and (laughs) fight a match against The Undertaker.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, what four wrestlers from this episode of Heat are taking on Jay and the three dudes that she fucked in It Follows for the main event of episode two of Heat? And what's the finish of the match?
1: So, there's four of them in total because it was her... And the three dudes, so we got to get, we got to get a girl in there. So I guess we'll go. We'll get Sable as the girl. We're gonna have to go with Steve Blackman because he kind of sucked. Um, <laughs> Dilo Brown and Mark Henry. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: okay, what's the finish of the match? It, it can't be a clean finish. It has to be some sort of uh, something that's gonna have to start a story. So Steve Austin's gonna drive in on a giant boat. <laughs> <laughs> and interrupt the match and he's going to start spraying water on everyone and they're just going to uh disintegrate while andrew wk comes out with a bloody nose singing i get water.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's perfect <laughs> hey dude how can everyone contact you and everything you're up to on the net I mean, basically, just my Instagram, which is
1: mstamos777, and Facebook, I'm just Matt Castellano, and you'll see any things I'm complaining about with my sports teams when I fly off the handle with that, or uh, any of my numerous trips to Vermont. (laughs) But, uh, you know, if I'm ever doing anything musically, um, again, I'll definitely be uh, posting it on either one of those forums, and I want to get back into music soon, for sure. Um, it's just finding the time and sometimes the determination to do it but I feel like I have a lot of good ideas still and better songs to write so definitely want to revisit that soon
0: you can get me everywhere at Rick as Hell the show's on Instagram at thrash slash maniapod and Twitter at maniapod follow my band at extinctionad on Twitter and Instagram and again make sure you go to our YouTube page and subscribe so you never miss an episode of it's go time you asshole live by this code or die by Dwayne S. Reed. In two weeks, we'll be back with another edition of The Rockumentation, where I'll be joined by comedian and former screaming hardcore man, Neil Rubenstein, and we'll be talking about something really, really cool. So until then, stay safe, lift weights, chug a Red Bull, bang your head, and never don't kick ass. You suicidal coke <laughs> You've been listening to the Stiff Shots Podcast Network. Go.